0: welcome to from the back tees a podcast where we tee it up from the back every week
2: welcome to the from the back tees podcast uh, i'm zach pencer as you guys know we got my guy nolan here we got our other guy reed coming off a nice little finish last week and reed i know you brought us another special guest i'll give you the honors
0: Zach, very, uh, very special, not only a friend of mine, but a family friend of mine that has uh, helped me through my golfing career at times and played a really big role in it. Uh, Jake, how we doing? Jake Gertson, a former scout for the Tampa Bay Lightning and many other hockey organizations.
1: Well, not uh, too many, Reed, I didn't bounce around too much.
0: Well, I mean, the major, yes, Seattle. You went up through the ranks, but yeah, you were with Tampa mainly. I know that, and I love
1: that. I uh, I started my junior career up in uh, British Columbia, and uh, I moved to uh, Seattle, and I worked for the Breakers and the Thunderbirds, and uh, from there I went to Tampa. So uh, I was very fortunate. I was able to hang on to my jo- jobs for quite a while and I'll always move up until I finally got fired.
2: Where did you where did you start in British Columbia?
1: Fort St. John.
2: Okay. Nice.
1: Okay. And uh my uh, my background certainly isn't a hockey background. Um I don't know if you guys are Familiar with Mennonites, but anyway, I'm a Mennonite. And uh, we moved to Northern British Columbia when I was 10. So the only ice we saw was in the winter when there was dugouts, okay? And we cleared the snow off the dugouts and and we built built our own hockey sticks. Finally, one Christmas, Mother Santa Claus brought us some hockey sticks. So there was six brothers. And we went out and we played some shinny and, uh, it got a little rough and there was some blood, some bloodletting. And so we came back to the house and mother says, well, if that's how you guys are going to behave, chop up your hockey sticks. So basically that was the end of my hockey career. Okay. Uh, we, uh, we had one newspaper. One weekly newspaper and that's how I became a hockey fan. I was a Chicago Blackhawks fl- fan growing up Bobby Hull and Phil Esposito and uh, the like and uh, For some reason hockey's just stuck in me. Okay, I, I had no idea why uh, Hardly played it when I find when I left the farm I moved to Fort St. John and uh You know, there was many stops in between different jobs. However, I ended up owning a trucking company when I was 27, 28. And um, it, uh, the only sponsorship I had was I sponsored a a fastball team. And uh, that was the only advertising I did. I sponsored a fastball team and I sponsored a hockey team in the beer, beer league. All right, and the only reason I even got a shift on the hockey team was because I was the owner.
3: <laughs> you paid your way in.
1: I paid. I paid my way in. I, I was. I was glued to the bench. You're like
3: okay. the like the coach's son, except you're you're like the owner who wants to step in there. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, one day. Um,
1: we had a little baseball meeting or a fastball meeting at my place and the coach of the junior team came by. He was also the coach of another basketball team and he goes, ah, we could use some help you know, with the hockey team. And I said, well, I'd really like to help. I don't, you know, no, I don't know a lot about hockey, but I can whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. So he says, well, we were looking for a bus driver. So, the next day, I went and picked up the old yellow school bus, cleaned it up, and that was the start of my hockey career. That's how it started. And I ended up as the chief scout of the Tampa Bay Lightning with a Stanley Cup ring.
0: That is crazy. So, uh, pretty amazing, huh?
1: Yeah, it, it was. It was. It's. Uh, <laughs> it's unprecedented, really.
0: Jake, when what? When you first met my parents, you obviously knew my parents long before I was born. Yeah. Uh, what position were you in? Were you were you scouting at that time? You were the bus. You were a bus driver, weren't you? Uh,
1: when I got to Seattle, I had worked my way up in, in Fort Saint John to where I was started as bus driver, then I became the manager, and then I became the general manager, and then I set up an affiliation with Seattle. I ended up in Seattle as a bus driver, okay? Yeah. I had sold my business, and um, the coach of the Seattle Breakers called me. It's because Cox. It, Pardon me? Scott? No, no, it was Bonnie uh, uh, Muron. And he called me and he goes, We had just finished a training camp in uh, Vancouver, and a joint training camp, and I brought a few players back. St. John and he said Jake do you know of anybody that wants to be a trainer and I said yeah I do I'll take the job (laughs) and he goes really okay because you know I had my own business and I was the general manager so why would anybody go do laundry for a junior team okay but I knew if I ever wanted to go anywhere I had to take the first first opportunity So I ended up, I I told him, give me a, or he said, I'll call you back. I've got to think about this. (laughs) So he called me back and he says, I have three questions. Um, Do you know how to sharpen skates? And I go, Yes, I do. I was a millwright in one of my other jobs and I knew equipment and I had sharpened a few couple of skates. Okay. So I wasn't. Wasn't uh, lying.
3: Weren't lying yet.
2: No.
1: And then he said, what about taping? Can you tape? Have you ever taped anybody? Any injuries? And I I didn't lie and I didn't answer. I just said, how difficult can it be to tape? Fair answer. Fair answer. And then he says, most important of all, do you know how to drive the bus? (laughs) And I go, yeah, I'm in. Because I had talked my way into driving the Greyhound bus that we chartered after my stint as a school bus driver, we chartered, we started chartering a Greyhound, and at night when everybody was asleep, I'd slide behind the wheel and I'd learn how to drive. The wheel. <laughs> okay. So anyway. There we were. There I was. I said, give me a couple of days. I did not ask about a visa. I did not ask how much he paid. I did not. I didn't want to scare him off. Okay. I just shut up and I said, I'll need a couple of days to get down there. So anyway, I got down there and I took a look at the skate machine. And it was all rusted up, and I told the coach, I said, You know what? We're gonna have to get the skate sharpened somewhere else until I get this machine worked, you know, straightened out. So at night, everybody was in bed. I'd go back to the skate machine, and I'd get it all shined up, and I'd practice sharpening skates on my own skates. All right. I brought it, bought a book on taping. Okay. A, B, C. Okay. That's the ankle. <laughs> so. After a couple of days, I said, Okay, boys, I'm ready to sharpen skates. So, and by now, the guys knew that that I didn't know anything, right? You can only fool them for so long. And it didn't take very long. They figured out I didn't know anything. However, I didn't take advantage of that. You know, I didn't bully them around or, you know, pretend that I did, you know. So, anyway, I, I, Ankle sore ankle would come in, and I'd go in the back room. I'd look at my book and I'd say, Okay, A, B, C. I'd come back out, tape it up, go. All right, sharpen the skates. They worked. They, they bitched a little bit, but I got better at it. And then uh, training camp was a lake couch. And so then I'd have I had to rustle up the bus, and it was a beater. Like it was a bad, bad bus. And so here I was driving into. Seattle with a bunch of rookies who had never been to Seattle. I'd never been, to, I'd been to Seattle, but never driven on the freeway with the bus. And so I wheeled her into Seattle, and, and that's, uh, I was there for 13 years. And that's, I worked my way up. The next step was the scouting wasn't being looked after. So I had a, Meeting with the owner with John Hamilton. I don't know. Reed, did you ever meet John Hamilton?
0: No, I know, I know the name, no, though. Never met him.
1: Anyway, we were having a few pops, and I said, "You know what? Our scouting is really, you know, it's really falling off. We, you know, we basically had no scouts." So I said, um, "I'd like to take over the scouting as well." He goes, huh, "Do whatever you want." Okay, so. <laughs> Just like that. The next morning, before he could change his mind, and he sobered up,
3: (laughs) I I
1: went in the next morning, and uh, I moved my desk from the locker room into the main office, created an office for myself, created a position, director of player personnel, and now I was head trainer and director of player personnel. All
3: right. Did you feel like at all overwhelmed with this or is it you were like, yeah, I'm ready for this? No, no, I'm just
1: going. Like, I didn't even think of the consequences. Like,
3: no,
0: like, the flow. Jake, this is <laughs> no, if if you were to know Jake, <laughs> nothing, something may, how do I word this? Something may challenge him, but nothing ever phases him.
3: Yeah.
1: That's I've always well, uh, it, it doesn't get me off off track, you know. Like, like I mean, I I'm I'm one step ahead of the other, you know, kind of guy. Okay, and I don't spend a lot. And you'll you may realize it today. I don't spend a lot of time in the past because my facts and stuff are a little bit jumbo-jumbo, You know, I know, I know the basics, but as far as you know, who scored the winning goal on our Stanley Cup winning? You know, I I don't know, and you know what? I, I really don't care. Just we're already moving on because there's another season coming up, and what are we going to do? And you know, so anyway, anyway, I ended up the director of player personnel. Uh, Eventually, somebody else took over as a trainer. I ended up as general manager, and because the the owner had to have some surgery, and so I ended up the. And we had no money. We had basically we had zip. We had nothing. Okay, our office was shut down. And he says, Well, Jake, you can take over. So I said, Okay, I took over. We had no phones. I had a lady that was in a wheelchair. She was my right hand lady. <laughs> she answered the phone. And she was a huge hockey fan. She was the president of the booster club. And we had no phone. We had, the bills weren't paid. I had a bunch of, uh, there was a bank of phones. What do you call them? You know, the phones we used to have? The uh, uh, ones we
0: have to do the... <laughs>
1: yeah. Anyway, anyway, the janitors, <laughs> those were the only phones I had, and here I was the general manager. And uh, so the, the, the janitors would answer the phone, they go, Jake! What year was this, Jake? Huh? What year was this? Uh, this would have been like in about 85 and uh so the janitors were answered the phone and they go jake bill laforge from the camus lasers okay i'll be right there so i made a few deals <laughs> i called the star player alan kerr he went on got drafted by the islanders and and uh, good player and he calls me and he goes jake i'm not coming back you guys are too unorganized and uh i go alan it's gonna be different okay i'm gonna hire a new coach and." And he goes, Jake, you always say that. <laughs> so, but he ended up coming back. I hired Luke Boyleau, or not Luke, but I hired Mark Boyleau to coach. He, he came, he used to play for the Seattle Totems. And he was an NHL coach and he was a, he was a uh, Quebec North coach. He came in and uh, we turned things around a bit and then the owner decided it was starting to look pretty good so he decided that he was going to take over again as general manager okay so i said okay he says yeah i think it's time you went this scouting. <laughs> so so i left uh and i hit the road and uh and you know during this time of course i was charge of billets and things like that and that's probably when i would have met your parents reed
0: really, right
1: and, uh, you know, you have to look after schooling, you have to look after billets, and you have to look after, you know, a whole bunch of things. And uh, my dream was always that somebody would see the potential in the Seattle franchise. And, um, you know, infuse some money, come, at, come along with some money and, and and make it a viable thing. So the dream came true. And uh, Earl Hale from Calgary bought it, you know Earl, yeah. and uh, he did a good job. Yeah. Now
3: they're uh, about to have an NHL team up there.
1: Yep. Yeah. It's it's right around the corner.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So Earl uh, Earl bought the team. He did well. Uh, he got it off to a good start, and then the real the, the the next owners came in, and they really went big. They went. They played. We played in the Coliseum. We played in front Fifteen thousand or eighteen. 000. Back at
0: the Breakers years, yeah. RB. Back at the Breaker years, yeah. No, yeah. that
1: then we were already Thunderbirds. Earl changed, Earl changed the name to the Thunderbirds.
0: Okay. So Earl was, was responsible for that. I didn't know that.
1: Yes, he was. Oh. Yeah. And then uh, the new ownership took over, and they they spent a, a ton of cash. They were used to uh, rebuilding um, minor league baseball teams. And uh so they had like 13 teams at one point. And so this was another uh project of theirs. And we finally got some offices, we finally, you know, our reputation improved. We were able to recruit players. And um, one day the owner came in and said, Jake, I need a we need a farm team. So here's the check, we'll get us a farm team. So I went and got a farm team, drove up to Canada, it only took me 10 minutes and I had a bot. Okay, the guy was surprised, shuck the shit out of him, you know, he thought this was going to be a long, drawn out negotiation. I said, how much do you want? And he said, 50 grand. And I said, here's a check. Okay, thank you. Bye. <laughs> There's your lunch and that was it. And um, so now I'm, I'm the chief scout and I'm also running the FAR team. Pat Smith was our coach. He's doing a good job. And then uh, I get a call out of the blue from a guy that, We'd had our battles in the Western Hockey League. His name was John Chapman, and he was... Uh,
0: oh, yeah. John,
1: he was general manager of the, of the Lethbridge Hurricanes, and it, we'd had some battles. Ken Danico played for us. I drafted him uh, in the expansion draft from the Spokane Chiefs. Danico went on to play 20 years in the National Hockey League. He's a real player. Anyway, Chappie, got a hold of Danico somehow over the Christmas break and he goes like don't go back to Seattle we'll make a deal for you and I put my foot down and Danico calls me Jake I'm not coming back and I go you're not going anywhere Daniel you're coming back to Seattle and I knew he loved hockey too much he wasn't going to sit up so he came back and uh, you know Choppy and I had a few words And anyway, um, a few years later, Chappie calls me. He goes, "Jake, do you want to do some scouting for the Tampa Bay Lightning?" I go, "Yeah." He says, "I I need a I need a part-time guy on the West Coast." He says, "Can we meet in Vancouver?" And I says, "Yeah." So we met. He goes, "I need you to know, send me some reports once a week or so. I'll pay you ten grand. What do you think?" "Yep." Yeah. Okay, so now I was the chief scout the light or for the Thunderbirds, ran the farm team and I was scouting for the
3: for the lightning expansion team. Okay. It's a lot, to juggle. A lot. Huh? It's a lot to juggle. Yeah, it was.
1: I had quite a phone bill. And it, you know, I used to, I had one of those back phones. Okay, they were about this big. So, <laughs> I'd be driving down I five and that phone would be just burning up. And, <laughs> then one day uh, the team wasn't doing that great the thunderbirds so we had russ williams he was the president and he was the hands-on president and he i i was always the first guy in the office he was second guy in. okay so he walks in one morning and he goes jacob what's wrong with our power play i go russ i don't coach the team Okay. Well, he goes, that Lonnie Bohannis guy that you brought in, yeah? Well, he's horseshit. We spent a lot of money on that guy. We flew him in here, and you said he was a good player. I go, Russ, sometimes things don't pan out. He goes, well, I want want you to make up your mind what you want to be. You can't serve two masters. You're either going to be a Tampa Bay Lightning guy or you're going to be And he thought he had me by the short ones, you know, because they were paying me good money, I had a good expense account, and I had nothing to complain about. And anyway, he says, tomorrow morning, I want to know what your decision is. We're going to play golf at the Classic. And on the ninth tee box, or the ninth green, I want you to give me an answer.
3: Wow, he really laid it out for you.
1: Yeah, he did. <laughs> so I said, okay, no problem. I went home. I thought about it. And I knew he wouldn't wait Okay, until we got to the golf course. So I went into the office that morning. And uh, he goes, what are you going to do? I said, the rest of it is what you want. I'm going to pack it up and I'm going to leave. <laughs> he stuttered a little bit. Okay. So he stuttered a lot after I told him that. And then he goes, Are we still going to play golf? Like, Damn right. So <laughs> we went and played golf. The guys are foursome. They, they had no idea what was going on. We played with the assistant general manager, Sayak, and the director of marketing. They had no idea that that was my last golf game with the Thunderbird.
0: <laughs> wow. So, so
1: just like that. So that night, I went to the office, shed a few tears, cleared up my office. And I moved on I had no job okay like part-time with Tampa Bay it doesn't do much okay yeah. the, you know that they didn't even really know that like Chappie knew who I was but the rest of the guys didn't even know who I was you know they had no idea so anyway I was basically unemployed I had a payment on a new condo and I had no car because they had a I had a company car okay so I thought, well okay anyway um couple months ago go down, go down. I, I touched base with Tampa, told them what was going on, and they didn't really care. And it was in the middle of the season, I knew they weren't gonna you know, make any changes or whatever. And uh, so I kept going to games, just kind of financed my own way, went to games. And uh, then the same Chapman that hired me, you know, didn't get along with, with Tony, Tony Esposito who was in charge of the scouting, okay? And so Chappie moved on to the Florida Panthers. So um, Tony calls me one day out of the blue, and he goes, Jake, we're going to give you the job. He was a man. He's a man of few words. He goes, Jake, we're going to give you the job. I go, thank you. And he goes, you know how we like things done? The most important thing is to fit in. I'll send you a contract in the mail. And that was the end of the interview. Okay?
0: Wow. Just like that? So I became
1: a Tampa Bay Lightning full-time employee. All right. So it went on and on and on. Are you guys getting bored? What year is yet? that? Jake? Huh? What year was that? That would have been in the early nineties. Okay. I don't know exactly what. Um. So then anyway, then I, I, I stayed in Seattle and then I worked, I worked uh, the West coast. I have to tell you a little a funny little story though. Uh, so we're, uh, the other Western Scout and I, we're going to go up to Alaska. We're going to scout a hockey game. Okay? And I've never told anybody this Okay, besides him. And, or no, nobody in hockey for sure. And uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm going to book the flights up to uh, Anchorage, right? Well, so, and this is how well prepared I was. I booked a flight to Fairbanks. So we end up in Fairbanks. Okay, wrong city, five hours apart, six hours apart. <laughs> so we had to scramble like a son of a bitch to get another ticket and then go to Anchorage
3: and then watch the game, watch the games there. Okay,
1: so that was the first lesson that I learned like you double flying check. In the
3: same, flying in the same day as the game. <laughs>
1: yeah, so <laughs> double check where you're going. All right, anyway, uh, I ended up. Uh, scouting and 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 state. the very first meeting we had in Montreal, the expansion meeting. Uh, we were sitting around the table, round table, and Phil was Phil Esposito was our general manager, and Don and uh, Tony was there. You know, both Hall of Famers. Terry Crisp was our coach. Wayne Cashman was our assistant coach. Donnie Murdoch uh, was our director of. Uh, scouting by then, and uh, so we had a we had you know star studded cast. Okay, so Phil, the guys would come in, and I, I forget what what who the big stars were that year. Anyway, Phil came in, and we'd have the guys come in one by one, the the guys we were interviewing, and Phil would go around the table. And he'd go, uh, this is Wayne Cashman, this is Terry Crisp, you know, Hall of Famer, my brother, Hall of Fame goalie, led the league in shutouts as a rookie and, you know, all this kind of stuff. He got to me and he jumped right over. He didn't even know my name. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going, okay, this is going to be a long ride, so just do your best. And I did. I sharpened pencil. I watched what Tony was doing. And Tony is Tony likes things neat, okay? Tony doesn't say much, but he, he likes things neat. So he would be straightening out pencils and cleaning up pop cans. So all, all I did was sharpen pencils, answer the phone if the phone rang, and I kept my mouth shut, okay? Because Tony made it very, very clear that he had really had no – respect for people in hockey that hadn't played the game. He just thought it was way too difficult for somebody to step into the situation, making hockey decisions and never having played the game.
3: So how did you, how did you feel like you kind of acquired that eye for the game, not playing a ton yourself?
1: Yeah. I think that made me even a better scout. Okay. Because I wasn't comparing myself to the player. A lot of, you know, that happens a lot when you get players scouting the game,
2: they compare the player to themselves. Okay, I, think they,
1: oh, I, I, I think
2: me? that's a problem with like coaches too, how they're always former players, or you think it translates better there?
1: Uh, no, actually, I think you'll find that the better coaches weren't the best players. That's what I've been preaching. Nobody listens to me.
0: Yeah.
1: Like John Tortorella was not a good player.
0: Yeah. He was a hard-ass player. And Jake knows torts very well.
2: (laughs) And Wayne Gretzky wasn't the best coach. Pardon me? Wayne Gretzky, I don't think, will go down as one of the better coaches.
1: No. And and it's not because Wayne didn't try. It's just that it's – you know what? Like it, it would be very difficult to be the best player in the world. And then to put up with a 17 or 18 or 19-year-old rookie coming in, that is just, you know, mess. And he's going, holy shit, what have we got here, you know? Right. So anyway, eventually, I uh, I worked my way into uh, being the chief scout. I, and another little golf story. We, we would play golf. We would play quite a bit of golf in our meetings and stuff. And the guys were a good player. Wayne Cashman was a very good player. Bill is a very good player. Tony hates the game. He thought we were all crazy. He thought we were stupid that we played <laughs> a little white ball. And he refused to even think about playing golf. Okay. And um, Murdoch, uh, my boss. And uh, so we are playing one day. And, and I was having a shitty round Because I didn't start playing until I was 30. And I had the worst golf swing in the history of the world. Okay. Like it was really, really bad. and uh, so we were playing one day, and he goes, Jake, listen, I am never playing with you again until you improve your game." <laughs> <laughs> so, so there I was. I better get to work, you know, if I wanted to play golf with the guys. So anyway, I did. So and
3: be good at golfing or
1: I'm, I'm 11 handicap now. that's solid. And, you know, so I – and I I make some really, really good tour shots and then I go brain dead, you
3: know. <laughs> yeah, sometimes the switch just turns off and you're like, what just happened there?
1: I played Torrey Pines yesterday, the south course. I was dressed to the nines. I had the long pants on. <laughs>
3: I had the, the complete um, Adam Scott outfit, okay. Uniqlo. I was going to say, maybe you're like a Ricky Fowler guy.
1: No, no.
3: No. <laughs> no. <Yeah>. And uh,
1: <laughs> I had, uh, you know, logo, no logo on my hat and uh, the foot joy, no spikes, uh, the whole nine yards, okay? And I started well. I par number one, bogey number two. I was going good. And then uh, the wheels fell off. It's, it's a tough course. Oh, yeah. So I, ended, I ended up 96, 95. So, well, right. Big deal. I would take it. So, anyway, any questions, Cal-
0: guys? South Cal- Sports, there at Toy Pines and stuff. Yeah, Jake, we were going to get into um, maybe some topics about this, uh, all the COVID stuff going on, and then uh, your thoughts on some other things. Um, what have you noticed, or what are your opinions on sports starting back up with COVID going on?
1: Well, first of all, and I'll make a rare exception. I don't say the word COVID. Okay? Because I am not giving it any more power than it already has. I am sick and fucking tired. Okay. Okay? Good for you. If I do speak about it, I use the number 19. That's it. Okay. Formal. I realize the seriousness of it, okay? I'm not downplaying the seriousness of it. It it is very serious, okay? However, I think it's over the top, the way we are saturated with nothing but 19 news. Okay, it's time to move into 2020, 2021. Let's move forward, okay? This world has overcome many obstacles. And we will face many more obstacles. And it, this is not the end of the world. And if it is, well, so be it.
2: Right. If we had you right? running either of our countries, things would be going much better. Pardon me. If we had you running either of the two countries that we come from here, this absolutely, be much better.
3: <laughs> no doubt in my mind. Wise words. Yeah, I mean, I agree. There's, I mean, we can overcome it. We can, you know, can do what we can. And there's only certain things we can control, right? Yeah. And and you know life goes on. I, what
1: I tell people is that I am going to live my life. I'm not going to be dead while I'm alive. Right. Okay. Right. And that's not being disrespectful. However, so I do, am.
0: Do you think living. Do you think it's necessary to uh, be doing testing? And I'm sure when every sport every sport pops back up, there will be testing of this and testing of that do you think it's necessary or what are your thoughts? I mean, I, well, I think, first of
1: all, I am not an expert on the di- disease. Okay. However, I did listen to an expert the other day on 31 thoughts. They had a very, if you guys listen, I don't know if you guys listen to 31 thoughts, uh, Friedman and, uh, Jeff Merrick, they do a very good job. They had a guy on, his name was Zach. Okay. And he is a, he is an expert on the disease. Okay. And of all the people that I've heard talk about 19, he is the one that has made absolutely the most sense. Okay? Not fear-mongering, being practical, explaining how it works, and what needs to take place. Okay. So If you guys want to know what I think about it, listen to his podcast. Okay. I think it's I think it I think it was very, very well done. And I can see the problems with crowds. I don't see any problems with the bubble and that kind of stuff. I do think that it's a lot of money to spend on testing. However, that's I my idea, which Again, I don't have all the information. As far as hockey goes, I would I would cancel the season.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah, why?
1: Why why go through all this? Like
0: right.
1: and, and this is gonna carry forward for the next three years because they're not probably won't start till January. So Sorry? then we go, you know, we go on and on and on. Let's make this safe. When it's safe, let's come back.
3: Right. So what's your thoughts on like a sport like golf, where there's not much contact? Oh
1: go, you know? go, go for
3: it! Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Why not? There's no. Yeah, way. I, I was afraid when they first, when last week when they came out with Nick Watney having his his case of it. I was like, oh man, please don't just shut down the whole tournament. No, you. no, no. They won't do
2: that. So yeah. They did a really good job dealing with it, and like Cam Champ had uh, tested positive, I think today. It's great. too. I was
0: yeah.
2: It's good to yeah. know they're not shutting it down.
1: Oh, no, no. And, and you can't. You can't shut it because you have to be progressive, okay? And, and, and they're, they're taking the steps with no fans, okay? Now, and, and the doctor, Zach, he made a good point. He goes, I've been to hockey games, and I've been drunk, and I've had my favorite guy score a goal, and I've looked around for people to hug and cheer okay and that's that's just not gonna you know that just doesn't make any sense to have fans even if you have social distancing and you have 5,000 people in a 15,000 seat arena it's still not gonna work I don't think how he explained it okay so I don't know and the thing is what you know he says he says no fans in hockey until there is a vaccine.
2: Hmm. Which armor
1: vaccine is how many years down the road? Who knows?
2: If there is one. If there is one. Oh, well, they'll find one. Yeah. Well, I'm with you. I think we've spoken a lot about COVID. I think we gotta talk about some brighter things. So before we get back to the hockey, we got a lot of questions there. People have sent me recently. So I asked who sent. I've got a couple more questions sent. But uh Let's talk about last week at the RBC Heritage Reed. you guys were in uh, first place after round one. I know things didn't go as well the rest of the way, but I mean still a pretty good week.
0: yeah, I mean uh, obviously coming off uh, round one, you know we we hit an okay round one. I wouldn't say we probably had our C plus or B minus game, but
2: putted uh, brilliantly. four and a half strokes gained putting. <laughs>
0: It, he that was the best I've ever seen him putt in any single round of golf. We had 21 putts in one one round of golf, and it was one of those days where, you know, we, we stepped up and we so we, we talked about line real quick. Saw line, or if he didn't you know if he felt himself, he wouldn't come to me and ask. And he saw his putt and rolled it. And it just it was one of those days where the whole hole seemed like a bucket.
2: Is it All less right? frustrating? Is it less frustrating to do like worse? and the the next three rounds when you really had such an amazing putting round because i feel like putting is much less consistent like if you were just striping it the first round and hit right. everything to two feet and then like blew up round two
0: right yeah i mean i wouldn't say you know we we we, we, we got a lot out of around on, on on thursday rather um you know, we left some out there on Friday, and maybe didn't hit some of our best golf shots, and you know, maybe some things happened. But that's golf at the end of the day. Um, end of the you know end of the week. You know, you, you take the positives that you're, you know, you're able to get up there and get back to the lead as we were, you know, right there in Houston. And I think we've been nipping at the bud recently, and and you know, our time's coming. It's just you know, him and I are talking about it. You know, today, at the end of last week, you know, it's kind of we just got to keep going. We're doing the right things. get like, It'll come. And you know, we're making my birdies. Um, you know, a couple of doubles last week and um, whatnot. But, you know, there's a lot of good coming. And, and we're working hard and being efficient in what we do so we can get enough rest to keep going as we're going to play probably the first six weeks, with this being the third one. And uh, on to Detroit and then Columbus for two weeks.
3: Is it is it tough to – To play in a tournament where there's so many guys shooting low scores like that, I mean.
0: Yeah, I mean, but honestly, it came with the territory, um, you know, with it being. It wasn't as windy. It wasn't as windy. It was later in the year, so everything was down. first cut was down. Everything was down. Everything was very benign. Um, But you know what? You play the hand you're dealt, and... That's really what it comes down to. I mean, you you step up, calculate a golf shot, hit a golf shot however you want, and you walk up and you hit the next one. And you do it again and again until the last putt's hold. And whatever you've done, you can do, man. I mean, the conditions are, are you can't control that. You can't control the wind. You can't control the rain. You can't control We had a two-hour weather delay with one putt on 18 left for the tournament. I mean, that's just part of the game, man. I mean, you got to walk up and just act like, like you know, it's just a brand-new shot and a brand-new moment every time. Every
2: time. Yeah. Golf's also been, especially with this return, things have been, like, crazy. Like, some guys right. who just – well, I mean, Webb missed the cut last week, and then he goes out and shoots, what, 22 under, 21 under to win this week. Right. Sung Jae, who was, like, on fire, misses the cut. Yeah. Morikawa yep. almost missed the cut. That guy, I'm telling you, he's going to make, like, 600 straight cuts for his career and just never miss and then retire on top.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah and you know what I think Jake so going back a little a little in time uh, when I was trying to play Jake and I did some work on the um, the mental game side of things and I I, I, there are still things that I go back to now on the golf course even being a caddy that him and I talked about and discussed and worked on and it's crazy man like Even the whole game is so mental, you just have to kind of stay up with it and stay in the moment and stay present, you know, and I think that becomes a big thing. And if you're able to do that, your expectations aren't as high. I don't mean that like you don't expect to play well, but you don't put as much stress on each golf shot.
2: Yeah, you don't get pissed after one bad round or one bad week. Like literally every single golfer now has had like one bad week. I mean, Matsuyama missed the cut. That guy, like, also right. What do you think? How
0: big of a role do you think the mental game plays in uh, in in a player's uh, player's career, if you will, in hockey, in golf, in In, golf, in In any sport, in any sport, for rather.
1: Yeah. Okay. I I would think that it's after a certain level of talent. Okay. Let's say the talent level is the same. Then the mental game is at least 90%. Right. At least 90%. Because there's so many things that can go wrong in between your ears. Right. Like, it's just, you know, like, it's just, and, and it was the same in hockey, okay? Like, Brad Richards was mentally tough. Okay. And he, he ended up being Eric Collins, my trophy winner. Okay. And, and Brad wasn't the most talented guy or the toughest guy or the, you know, whatever, but he was mentally tough. Like he could, he could bounce back, you know? And so I, yeah, I, I think, uh, mental tough, because it's it's so hard and even though a, a lot of the guys from you know i listen to a few other podcasts okay and it seems to me like most every player these days has some sort of a mental coach maybe more than one okay and 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 you know they're into meditation and then they're into so the competition for being mentally tough is increasing right okay like I know Jack, Jack and, and Ben Hogan and those guys, they were mentally tough. But the rest of the field, they weren't as tough mentally. I think there's way more mentally tough guys now than there's ever been.
0: Question. Do you think, do you think that it's possible to ever reach like a point of being – or do you think you're always working on something more on the mental side of any game? Like yeah. there's no, there's really no end to it.
1: There is no end.
0: Like, to it. it can always be better.
1: Yeah, and I think, and I, I'm no tiger expert, but I think Tiger found that out. Okay. No, when,
0: no, no one's a tiger expert.
1: <laughs> so when, the, when when the shit hit the fan, he realized there was more to the game than the than what he had been doing. Okay. okay. And you have to give him full marks. For coming back. I didn't think he could do... I, I thought his... I didn't even think about the physical part of his game because he's he's proven that he's he can take that to whatever level he wants. You know, like he works hard. But he did the work. He did the mental work to come back. And there has been... I don't think there's been a tougher situation in pro sports or in the world that Tiger recovered from. Amen to that. You know, he's just... Like it's it's amazing when when you put yourself in his shoes for just a second, even you know, even the split second, and to have all that pressure of being the best player in the world, okay, and then to have a royal screw up and then to fight back, like that is that is huge. That is huge. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is
0: people don't realize how tough it is. No. You
3: have yeah, no idea. Personal life torn down and his his professional golf game tore down at the same and his body and his
1: body yep and his body was a complete wreck (laughs) you know like i mean that's a lot that is a lot so if we miss a three-footer it's not (laughs) like the end of the world is it
3: so i got a question for you jake how do you how do you quantify or how do you scout for like mental toughness i know like I mean, I've watched Miracle on Ice, where Herb Brooks hands out all his surveys to his hockey players to figure out how they're going to work together, or figure out what they got going on between the ears, or something. How do you scout for that?
1: I did the same thing. I used the same uh, same thing in juniors, okay, and uh, even in in the National Hockey League, we did we did some of that uh, as well, and. Uh, After a while if your grandmother sees enough games she can tell you who the best player is on the ice right
3: yeah
1: it doesn't take a genius okay where it really comes in is you have to do the background on how mentally tough are guys okay what kind of people are they are they willing to work for it and sometimes you make mistakes okay you do the interviews You, you know, you talk to the people and, and, and sometimes you, you just, you make mistakes or they don't keep improving on the same line. They can't handle the pressure. Okay. They might be the big fish in the little pond when they're on the farm team or when they're in juniors. And then when they get to national hockey league training camp, then almost everybody's sort of at the same level. And then they don't know how to deal with it. You know? And that's that's something that you just kind of have to guess at okay how they're going to be able to you interview them and you talk to them and you ask key questions and then but you know when the rubber hits the road you don't really find out until
2: you get them to training camp and get them in with the rest of the guys and stuff you know i gotta ask you this question on on that matter how how the hell was Martin St. Louis, the man who helped you win a Stanley Cup, not drafted in the first place.
1: Well, because uh, in in those days, Marty was way too short. Okay, like there was only, there was only a few players, like maybe Cornville. I don't even know. He wasn't that short.
2: Pardon me? He wasn't as short as St. Louis.
1: No. And so there just wasn't short players, okay? So it was very easy for people to just say. And I, I didn't see Marty play as a junior. And I had absolutely nothing to do with getting him to Tampa. Uh, the, the, the credit totally belongs to Rick Dudley. He saw something. Rick Dudley probably has the most amazing eye for talent in the National League. He's an incredible scout. Incredible scout and he went to bat for marty okay and and he he found a way to get him to tampa and then he got a way found a way to get him to play okay talking to the coaches and doing whatever okay and so it you know and i think marty you just you couldn't out how determined he was going to be okay like he was good and he was determined and and whatever but was he like he like he really worked on his body okay and he had to do a lot of mental work okay uh because he you know he would get frustrated flustered and i i remember brad coming (laughs) coming out of the brad richards coming out of the locker room one day and he goes jake you got to talk to marty He's just completely losing it. (laughs) And so, you know, so we had a little chat and whatever. And uh, however, he worked on those kinds of things. Okay. Like, I mean, his, his flies, his calves, like, I mean, they are
0: huge. They're humongous. Like Bill Nicholson calves?
2: Huh? Reed, they make you look terrible.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Jake Jake knows my calves.
2: (laughs) Who's better calves, Reed or Marty St. Louis? (laughs)
1: Marty Marty is a tremendous well you guys saw him play probably and and Marty's just an amazing athlete
2: he's the rare player that Montreal Canadiens fans liked who wasn't on the Canadiens I think he was just universally loved by all Habs fans yeah okay what about Vinny Vinny was too at one point everyone wanted him to come to Montreal but not like St. Louis like no. in my, especially Jake. like in my family, my brother like my brother was also very short. Like playing competitive hockey, I idolized St. Louis growing up.
0: Yeah, St. Louis was he. He always was able to deke and dive and duck, man. He was so good in the holes. Well, he paved he paved the way for little guys. Yeah, Jake. Who two part question? Who was the best player you ever drafted? best player at the end of their career that you were ever responsible for scouting and second what NHL player are you closest with
2: closest with can I yeah. add a third question who's a player who you you looked at and didn't draft and turned out to be really good Oh yeah
1: I was I, I had that. I thought, was thinking about that today um, I've made a lot of million dollar mistakes those are easy. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> afraid to admit that. <laughs> uh, the best player drafted, okay, uh, in junior, I could take responsibility for Kandaniko, okay, because it was a, a dispersal draft that Spokane Chiefs folded, and uh, I was in charge of scouting, and nobody else had seen these players, and I was hoping. And even though I didn't know that much about Danico, I was just hoping we would pick third. And I was just hoping, I had my fingers crossed that he would be there. And he was there. And he turned into a very, very solid player for us. And then he had a great, great career as a defenseman for the Devils. He won a cup, I think. And uh, so he was the number one guy. Now, as far as scouting in the National Hockey League, if people take credit for finding someone, most likely they're bullshitting a little bit. <laughs> because the thing is you have a staff of 20 people. Okay. okay. By the time you get the coach, and the, or not the coach, but the general manager and the director of player personnel and all those people involved. So it goes around and around and around on the table and and that allows okay, so let's say the buck stopped with me, okay, because I was the head scout. Okay. All right. But I had so much feedback from other people that it wasn't that it wasn't me. Now the people or the the two people that come in mind come to mind that I battled hard for and that were you know, uh, you know, evident by by the round they were picked. One was Brad Richards. Okay, I fought I fought hard for Brad, and we got him in the third round, and he ended up being a consummate trophy winner. Okay, so that's that's pretty good. And uh, the second guy was Paul Ranger, and he he was just he he didn't he was a sixth rounder. And he, he went on, and I don't know exactly what happened after I left Tampa. He had some issues, but he, he carved a nice little career out for himself. Okay, he was a smooth skating guy and, and whatever. So, uh, as far as Zach's question, oh, I think the biggest mistake I made. And you have to have a little bit of background into the thinking that went into it. We were a team that weren't very hard to play against. And Jay Feaster liked a tough team, okay? He wanted players that cared and that hit. And we had absolutely nobody in front of the net uh, to be able to clear out anybody in front of the net and in those days you could clear still clear people out in front of the net okay we just weren't that tough and so we were looking for tough players so uh, one draft <laughs> we took mike Egner and match maybe and they were both tough bastards okay they could play hard okay and and mike had a lot of talent too He ran into some injuries, so and whatever. And Matt, his foot speed just wasn't quite good enough, I don't think. In the end, Um, both good kids, good, good. They wanted to be players and everything, and they worked hard. And however, the guy that I passed over and didn't go till like the fifth or sixth round is the captain of the Canadians.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: Foose? No. Weber.
0: Oh,
2: that's so a really That's Yeah, that's rough. That's rough. That's a rough one. Well, point. that's hard to take.
1: You know, and and it wasn't like I didn't know about Shea Weber. He played in Kamloops, and I saw Kamloops play a lot. And I did the player interviews. I went and interviewed the top guys in person. I drove to, drove to, to Schwab to uh, Sycamus. And I met, I remember the meeting, I met with his parents and with Shay at the, at the uh, dock and we had a nice lunch and whatever and, and Shea was a good guy and, and um, however, he did not fit what we were looking for. Okay. And I thought, okay, if I bring a guy like that in, and and Shea has changed his game, I think. I you know, I'm not an expert on how Shea Weber plays.
2: But I was him. gonna say Shea's like one of the toughest guys in the league, was he? I know, but guy?
1: he didn't start out that way, you know. Right. And uh I thought, oh shit, if I've got to defend him, with Tornarella and Feaster, my ass is grass, you know. And and I, I I believed in these other two guys, okay, so I put my neck on the line and that's that's what happens so anyway a little side story I'm walking out at the draft in between rounds or something and I bump into Mrs. Weber and she gives me a dirty look and she goes finally somebody sees something in my son (laughs) wow and I go yep so anyway uh, you know that's how it goes. Now we made other mistakes and for different reasons. And uh, but that's the one that if if I could do it over, that that would be a do over. But you know, like how just much, cutting, you don't do them over.
0: How much uh, how much say or how much input did you have on Vinny? What oh
1: zero. 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 Well no, it was automatic. Like I mean, yeah. uh, you know, I mean there was just
0: No greater. You know,
1: that like we never we never even we never even really
0: discussed that you know right no,
1: no, he was just
0: how how easy was he to be around?
1: Oh, Vinny's good. Vinny's a good guy he uh you know it was tough maybe we we handled things like the owner was art he was uh an insurance salesman, done what well, you know maybe good. And he went up to the podium and and he called many the the Michael Jordan of <laughs> of the National Hockey League. Well, that's a little bit hard to live up to, okay? Yeah. And uh, you know Jacques came in and I think it was Jacques that made him captain. And you know that's a tough job for an 18-year-old or whatever however old than he was. Um, and then Vinnie, and then Torts came in, and Vinnie was, you know, Vinny and Torts weren't the best of buds at the start, and uh, you know, Vinnie lost the sea, Torts yanked the sea, and uh, you know, they they met in the middle, and we won a cup. Look, so it was. Uh, Torts got a lot out of Vinny. Vinny had Vinny had some things to learn, just like everybody else does. Right. Uh, he was in a position where he had never had to be pushed, right. out, you right. know. And in order to win, in order to win, you know, like just like on the PGA tour, you got to have you got to go through your valleys, you know, in order to to get out on top. And then it's uh, you know, and that's what, what every every
0: valley every valley has learning curves that you learn and get better from.
1: Yeah. And, like, I mean, Vinny was just, like, that series against Montreal. Like, we won we four straight, and he was just a wrecking ball, you know. Like, I mean, right. he, he had talent. Like, I
0: mean, like, it just brought the best out of him. It was just – it was incredible. Zach and Nolan, and we'll save this for another time, a later date, but Jake has stories with him and Tortorella that get me absolutely rolling on the floor that I – We've had rounds of golf or whatever where he'll, he'll start talking about Tortorella and I just start rolling
2: laughing. I love it. That's one of my questions I got from one of our followers. He wanted to ask what your relationship is with Torts. So I guess that leads into it.
1: Well, you know what? Torts and I,
2: um,
1: we got along. Uh, I knew when to shut up. Okay, because Torts is a fiery guy. And what I learned from winning the cup, how we operated that year, inside our ring is uh, good is the enemy of great and safe is death. Okay? And the unwritten one was pay attention to detail. And we had our disagreements and we had really, really deep discussions, okay? Garbage can kicking discussions. And however, as soon as everybody and everybody was welcome to speak their mind, okay? And at the end, when a discussion or after we had a meeting or after a game or something and we'd, done the thrashing, Uh, we knew, we respected everybody's job, okay, and we fell in line, okay, there was no backbiting, okay, Jay Easter, John Tortorella, Ramsey, Reese, the trainers, everybody was in line, okay, we've got the shit cleared out, now we've got one goal, and we're marching forward and that was huge that was huge and and torts was a big part of that part you know torts torts doesn't fool around you know he uh he wears his heart on his sleeve and he just uh, so yeah in order for me to get into some of those stories it's a long story but but no I, you know torts and i uh i have a lot of respect for torts and uh, you know we're not you know we're not on the phone all the time i haven't talked to torts for Probably four or five years. Okay, and uh, however, that that doesn't really change anything. If we met somewhere in the street, we'd have a really really good conversation.
0: Who's really- the best coach you ever worked you ever worked under, Jake?
1: Well, I would have to say Torrance. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's where I was and, kind of going And you know what?
1: Uh, yeah, like I mean, we had we had. We had other coaches and stuff, but like the first guy, the first name that joined, and he was there the longest, and right. he achieved the most, and he was just uh, – and and he was one of those guys that, you know, I've heard what kind of player he was, and he wasn't.
3: Right. <laughs>
1: okay. So I, I don't know. I didn't see him play, so I, I can't testify to I, that. But I just heard that he wasn't that good. He had to work – he had a scrap for every – in place time, and he wasn't even a fighter, like he was just a bulldog.
2: All right, well, I got works. a couple more questions for you here. Okay, a few people we got. Uh, I don't know if you have the insight here, you might. It's could you talk about what happened with Dave Anderchuk the couple seasons that followed? As far as what? As far as I don't know, after he won the cup, did anything happen with Dave Anderchuk? That was the question.
1: Uh, no, like I really have. Uh, I I know he's got his, he's got the statue in front. I think, and he's very involved in the community, and uh, but other than that, I you know I I I have nothing. I have nothing. Uh, I don't know anything about Dave. I, you know I played golf with Dave, and you know of course we were together that year. But then the next year we had. Yeah. Blockout. and then I don't think Dave came back after that. So I basically I really I didn't get to know him that well. You know he wasn't there that long. So no, I, I have no idea what what the question is pertaining to.
2: Okay, we had some other questions, but they were all basically asked about who you your best draft pick was and whatnot. Yeah. We got we got a couple of golf questions here. We could all chime in. What does everyone think on the state of Jordan
0: speech? Wow, the state of Jordan Spieth. Yeah, as as it pertained to uh the way he's playing. Or yeah, what? that
2: he's uh seems to have turned things around a little bit. As a, yeah,
0: I mean the guy's think, the guy's yeah. talented. I mean he's gonna he's gonna be good. Whether it takes him a month to fix things or a year to round things, like it's gonna happen. Like, he's proven that he's good. Um, you know, there's probably some things that he's working on that uh, maybe have gotten better over time. And then that's golf, man. It's game of golf.
2: Yeah, and then the last question we got, which I think is a great question, one of the best we've had, is uh, what's the, is there a right fitness approach for golf? Because if you look at Bryson and you look at Webb Simpson, who just won this week, you couldn't have two more complete opposites in terms of their fitness approach.
0: Well, if you're going to talk fitness, ask Mr. Yoga, who teaches yoga around the world, Jake Gertson.
1: Well, I, you know, I think, it, you know, again, I, I think it, it depends on, on, the, on the individual, on the mental state of the individual. Okay, obviously, Webb Simpson, I, I, and I don't even know Webb Simpson. I have no idea, but you're t- calling him the opposite of Bryson, okay? So, obviously. <laughs> he's not in bad I, shape. He's just not, he's not. Uh, yeah, so right. obviously, it's not a priority for Webb, okay? Exactly. And Bryson is experimenting, okay? And, you know, all the more power to him. I, I personally, I, I don't know why he's doing it. It's going to be really hard on his body.
2: I would like a lot of effort, too.
1: Yeah, like for, to do what, you know? It could be even
3: 10
1: yards further. Yeah, to get 10 yards. So I don't know. But, but you know what? Everybody has their own reasons. So uh, getting back to S- Spieth for a second, uh, you know, I'm a big Spieth fan. I, I think he's, he's a really, really good guy. Maybe he's too good a guy. Uh, but I, th- I think he's kind of like Vinny. You know, he's kind of a, he came to stardom. And then uh, all of a sudden, things you know turn uh, turned a little bit sideways. He hasn't run for three years, so that's a long stretch and uh, and but I think like he certainly hasn't quit, and he shows that okay like I mean, you rattle off what do you have nine birdies in a row or something eight yeah. Yeah. eight
2: whatever you know like, like i mean no feeble-minded person does that <laughs> right. <laughs> triple bogeys the first or the second and then somehow has eight birdies in a row in the same round.
1: So, you know, he's uh he's good. I I think that the number one I think I think as far as fitness and golf, I think every single player could benefit from yoga. Okay. I
3: agree. I agree. Um, Flexibility I think is yeah. And I think
1: that if and 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 I think that if if uh <laughs> Tiger would have started doing yoga a long time ago. He wouldn't have had to have all these surgeries and stuff. So it's, you know, it's, I don't know. But anyway, and it's not, you know, Hank Haney. I listened to his podcast a couple of times. And one day he said, you know what? Tiger needs yoga. Simple as that. Tiger needs yoga because it is a complete mind and body workout. Okay, when you do Bikram hot yoga, I I went today, I haven't been in a hot room for almost three months, and it just kicked my ass, okay? and But you walk out of there, and you're one with the universe, and you've loosened up every muscle, every organ in your body. So it's a complete mind-body workout, and what do golfers need? They need a complete mind-body workout. You need to get out of your head okay and we have a lot of successful people business people athletes whatever and come to our classes and for a while i had an nfl guy retired nfl guy come in and he goes oh, man if i would have known about this while i was playing like i mean he just he just couldn't get enough of it you know and jeff reese the goaltending coach and he was he was good goaltender in his own right and Corey Schwab, who, by the way, you uh, read, you should get Corey on.
0: I should. I was thinking about that. Schwab is Corey, awesome. Corey.
1: is one of the brightest minds in hockey. He doesn't unbelievable. He's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And uh, so, but both him, both him and Reeser, they started doing the yoga, and they go like, man, they'd been doing that when they were playing. They would, you know, they, it would have just been so much better for them. So right. I don't know. I, and I, I know there's some guys that are on the tour, I think, that are, are doing some yoga. Um, it's hard to fit it in when, with the schedule and stuff. And it's the same. It's hard for hockey players. Okay, so like, during the season, it's almost impossible for them to have a routine to go and do 90 minutes and be from yoga, you know, like
0: three times a week. It doesn't work. You know? Right. What, uh, one final last thought on yoga, Jake. How many countries have you taught yoga in? I've st- I've taught at
1: over 150 studios. No, I've t- I've practiced at over 150 studios, and I've taught at over 35 or 40
3: regular Zen uh, master, man. Pardon me, Zen master.
1: Yeah. So, anyway, I started the Bikram when it wasn't fashionable. Uh, for the first five. Six years, I didn't tell anybody in hockey that I was doing yoga. And uh, but anyway, um, yeah, it's the best thing that you can do for your mind and your body. Yeah, have absolutely. You any, uh,
3: have you seen any of the uh, goat yoga that's been done? <laughs> no, I, uh, <laughs> hey, I'm not really. I'm
1: not really a yoga teacher. I I teach Bikram yoga, and there's a big difference because. I I don't understand all the, you know, the, the, the chakras and the yin and the yang and all the, you know, all the flowery stuff. I I just go, I've got the real stuff down. And, and uh, I can be, uh, I'm a tough teacher. Uh, I call people out. And uh, I had, uh, I had a CEO of a, company in San Diego Fortune 500 company and he he was a bit of a brat and he wasn't listening and he was pouring water over his head and he was doing shit things and I gave him quite a few warnings and um, he wasn't responding so finally one day I let him have it and he yipped back nobody yips back to the yoga teacher okay but he did he yipped back at me in the classroom and I said, okay. And I let him, yep. And I knew he was, he was going to come at me after class. So I went and I stood at the front of the counter. And um, he came up to me and he goes, he kind of poked like this. And he goes, I don't come here. I'm, a, I'm the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And I don't come here to take that kind of bullshit from you.
3: Who cares? Once you step into the, the uh-huh. yoga studio, you're all students. under. But
1: that's the lesson he had to learn. So I said, really? So he kept going on. He, un- uh, he unloaded. I said, okay, good. Then he went and sat down. And then I gave him full marks. He had the balls to get up, come up, and to shake my hand. And then he left. He turned on his heels and he left. He is one of my better students now. Really? One of my better students, he came around. He completely did a 360 or 180 or whatever, what are 360, whatever you <laughs> want. And uh, one day we were in class and I said, okay, now people have a tendency to hide in the back row. And I picked three guys. I said, okay, guys, next Sunday, I always teach Sunday. Next Sunday, I want all three of you guys in the front row. So two of the guys showed up in the front row. Okay, that's a little bit touchier up there. Okay, you're leading by example and you're 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 almost in your own eyeballs. And Mr. CEO, he was in the second row. And uh, so I go, hey guys, good job moving into the front row. And uh, Tony, congratulations, you got to vice president. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, he had no I you know, nobody else had any idea of the, the exchange of the you know, CEO and anyway. And but no, he's he's really good now. Like he and he's he tells me every time how much he's learned and how much and his practice has improved. Like he's he's a different person. He's not angry, he's nothing anymore. He shows up like yesterday he was in the front row and he was there and he was working and and he's a total day and night difference. I take so, I take some I take on some tough cases that nobody else wants to take. They don't. They, you know, it's it's hard. You have to have a long range vision in order to take on those kind of projects. I'm mean,
2: gonna I have to come for uh, my road to the mini tour. It'll be like my training. Yes. Getting absolutely. through one.
0: I'll
1: I'm I'll I'll, I'll get you. I'll, I'll get you in shape. That's right. Jake
0: will be bending backwards, touching the back of your part of your heels. You might be yeah. disappointed,
2: though, with my performance in the actual golf event, though. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm never – if people are working, I'm never disappointed. Never. Okay, good. Yeah. You can't be results-oriented there. Yeah. I'm aiming uh, for last. Okay. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> All right. Well, uh, it was great having you on, Jake. We really uh, appreciate you – joining us hopefully we'll have you on again soon you know uh i know we have a ton of big hockey fans who listen especially with me out in montreal we're all huge hockey fans so
1: and there's you know there's a lot of good hockey players i made a couple of notes uh i used to go on the holland tour kenny holland he's a gm of the Oilers. yeah i've known kenny for a long time and uh he used to scout for the red wings and him and Bruce Harrelson would come through, and they'd be scouting, and they'd have their clubs with him. And uh, I wanted to play with them. And they'd go, no, you're not good enough. You have to qualify. <laughs> so, and I didn't qualify just on the first round. Like, I went to Tri-Cities. What's the name of that course there? Uh, Reed, do you know the name of the course, Tri-Cities? It's a nice course. It's a desert course. Canyon Lakes? No, not that one. Not far from there. Uh, I'll, the next podcast will have it. Anyway, they made me that, that was a tough course. So I, I had to play I, two or three rounds before I qualified to even just play with them. Okay. So I worked my way up. I got onto the Holland tour and the Holland tour played all over Europe or all over Scotland and Ireland. Okay. I qualified for that. And we would go and it like Kenny Holland is amazing. He is the most amazing organizer that I've ever met in my whole life. And he takes it so personal and he looks after every detail. We had books printed up with each course we were going to play and how many holes, and what the games were going to be and who the partners were going to be. And like, I mean, where we were staying, like it, it's just incredible. And some of the guys, Dale Talon, who is a good player. Okay. He won the boys Canadian junior or whatever he played a little he played on the canadian tour he, i think he won two or three times he qualified for a, a pga tour event and um he was also a second overall pick to the vancouver canucks and now he's the general manager of the florida panthers he's very good uh, he's a good player and i think he just qualified for the senior open or something i don't know when i, I just, oh really yeah glad over. Ah. and he can really play okay um Doug Armstrong, GM of, of St. Louis, very, very good player. He was on the tour, okay? And uh, he's a solid, solid player. And uh, uh, the guy from uh, San Jose, Doug Wilson, okay? very good player. And all these guys, they, what they all have in common is they are mentally tough. But they are mentally tough. Like maybe they're, you know, they're not PGA players, but when you get them on the golf course, <laughs> they compete and they know, they know what it takes, you know? Uh, so anyway, I had some, we had some really, really good tours. I, I got to play with uh, Joey Kosher, who can really hit the ball. i tough guy for the Red Wings. Uh, you know, so uh, that was a lot of fun. And yeah. Uh, so, if you guys are ready to wrap it up, I just have to have one uh, message for Reed, and I really, really had my heart set on being a caddy on the PGA Tour, and Reed hired me. <laughs> <on. laughs> i still there.'s times I still lose sleep at night. You know, like I mean, I I, I thought I I thought I caddied well.
3: <laughs> Not only crushed your own dream, Reed, you crushed Jake's dream. <laughs> hey, dream.
1: No, we had a good time. We really had a good time. Yeah. I've never seen anybody hit a one iron or what did you hit a th- one iron? Yeah. Two iron. Two iron. Two iron. iron. Three hundred and some yards. Oh man, almost on the green. Where it's was the steroids. it? Steroids. Oh. That's
2: what I've been oh. saying.
1: Man, oh man, oh man. So anyway, we've had some laughs over the years and some, you know, yeah. some peace in the valley. So anyway.
0: thankful, thankful
1: for everything you've done, Jake. Usually I don't do this much talking, okay? I consider myself a good listener. So next time you guys do the talking. All right? No,
0: no, we, we, we like the stories, man. That's, that's, that's why we brought you on.
2: Okay. All right. Thanks all right, so right. much and uh, no. hope you guys enjoyed. Yeah. See you, Jack. See you, Nolan. See you, Reed. Good luck
0: next Thank you for listening to From the Back Tees. Oh, oh. Going toward the
1: hole, and it's in
0: with 30. We hope you enjoyed today's show. For more information and updates, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at From the Back Tees. I'm going to enjoy it for the rest of my life. See you next week. Be the ball,